0: Welcome to Earth Day Summit 2016, where leading visionaries, activists, and environmental leaders are activating a global community for sustainable living on our planet. Share this powerful event with your friends and family and join in our conversation on Facebook at The Shift Network. Now, your host, Nathan Crane, founder of the Panacea Community.
1: Hi, this is Nathan Crane, founder of the Panacea Community and executive producer of Unify Fest, And I'm really excited you're joining us for the Earth Day Summit today. This empowering event is dedicated to remembering and solidifying our connection and reverence for the beautiful planet which supports all of our lives. We really appreciate you for joining us and for being a part of our community. And I'm incredibly excited and honored to introduce our next guest, Sadhvi Bhagavati Saraswati. Sadhvi Saraswati is the president of the Divine Shakti Foundation, a charitable organization bringing education, vocational training, upliftment, and empowerment programs to women and children in India. She's also the Secretary General of the Global Interfaith WASH Alliance, an international alliance of interfaith religious leaders working for water, sanitation, and hygiene also known as WASH. She is also the director of the annual International Yoga Festival and managing editor of the recently completed Historic 11-volume Encyclopedia of Hinduism. Sadhi Saraswati, it's, it's truly an honor to have you join us for the Earth Day Summit. Thank you for being here.
2: Absolutely. It's a wonderful honor.
1: Great. So let's, let's dive right in. You obviously do a lot of work around water and sanitation and hygiene. Um, what, what kind of water issues have you come across through your travels and through uh, your organizational work in helping villages?
2: What we have found out actually, Nathan, which is spurring so much of the work that we're doing is that issues related to water, and more broadly, water sanitation and hygiene, are really at the foundation of almost all that is ailing so much of our planet. And the sheer number of people, for example, who are suffering and perishing, due to lack of clean water is more than people dying from all forms of violence combined. You know, we see a news story about a suicide bomb that goes off in a cafe or in a shopping area, and 15 people or 50 people are killed, and and it's, it's horrendous. And that's front page news. And yet, If you take terrorism, take war, take religious violence, take drug-induced violence, take domestic violence, take all forms of violence and add them together, and what you get still pales in comparison to the numbers who are suffering and dying just due to lack of clean and sufficient water. And particularly in India, where we've been working, you know, for decades on so many different issues, what we realized is that water underlies almost every other issue. So, for example, you can try to address issues of hunger, and whether it's bringing in food, whether it's doing midday meal programs, for example, in schools, and yet, when the children's guts are ravaged by the bacteria in their water, their diarrhea is going to persist regardless of how much you improve the quality or quantity of their nutrition. So, what you're feeding them and they are then just diarrheaing out is not benefiting them in the way that those of us in feeding programs would help these programs to benefit the children because they've got such bad bacterial infections due to the water, due to lack of proper sanitation or hygiene. You look, for example, at school programs, programs for women, so much of that which we do, and we realized that we were spending, and we still are, of course, so much time, energy, financial resources on building and running really good schools, computer labs, vocational training programs. And yet, almost 25% of the girls in India drop out of school the minute that they start menstruating because of the lack of, Indoor, protected, dignified places in which they can properly clean themselves during their menstrual cycle. And so it doesn't matter how beautiful your schoolroom or how elaborate your computer center is, if we're losing 25% almost of girls the minute they hit puberty just due to lack of toilets, then equal focus needs, of course, to go there. Similarly, in issues of health care, for example, we run a lot of free medical care programs here at the ashram. We run them in villages. We do a lot of free health care. And to realize that a, an enormous percentage of all of that which is ailing and afflicting people here in India can be directly attributed to lack of sufficient water, lack of clean water and lack of proper sanitation and hygiene. So we just we realized that this really is a foundation of almost all of the rest of the work that needs to happen. And you know, you were speaking earlier in the introduction about programs for women and women's rights. And again, that's A lot of the programs that we do are upliftment and empowerment programs for women. And yet you can train them, you can give them whatever a variety of organizations, including ours, are giving them. And yet if they have to not drink water and not eat food all day long because they don't want to go to the toilet outside in the light and they have to wait until dark, because of issues of dignity, and they don't have a toilet, and they have to go outside. They don't want to go in the light, and so they are not drinking. They're not eating during the day. They're waiting for the cover of night to be able to go to the bathroom outside. So you've got women who are malnourished, women who are dehydrated, simply due to the fact that they don't have a place where, when they need to heed the call of nature, they can do so safely and with dignity. And then, of course, at night, they fall prey to wild animals in the jungle, to men acting like wild animals in the jungle, and that there's really no possibility for empowerment, upliftment, even safety or basic equality for women in this nation until and unless they all have access to toilets. And we've still got about 600 million people, approximately half of which are women, defecating in the open. So you're looking at you know 300 million Indian women who have to go to the bathroom in the open. 600 million total people. So that's that's where we realized that this was such a fundamental and foundational issue that needed to be addressed.
1: is that one of the um main causes for the um the bacteria in the in the water is the um feces and so forth ending up in rivers and things like that?
2: Yes, it is. There's several different aspects that are impacting our rivers. And we don't have time to go into all of them, but I can give them just very quickly. One of the most major ones is the sewage, the raw, untreated sewage. So whether it's sewage lines that are not running through uh, waste treatment plants or whether it's just open defecation in fields that is being washed into rivers, either way that plays a massive, massive part and is... uh, the, the numbers are terrifying just in terms of the billions and billions of liters that end up in our rivers. Another one of the major challenges that we face is agriculture waste. And so it's the pesticides, it's the fertilizers, many of which tragically have been outlawed in America, have been outlawed in the EU and are being sold here in India as magic. I mean, literally the word that is used for the chemicals that are sprayed on crops, that are used as fertilizer, is divai, which in Hindi means medicine. And so it's being marketed as medicine for the plants when actually it's killing all of the people who eat it. And polluting the groundwater in such a way that all of that runoff enters into the rivers as well. The third major issue is the industrial commercial effluence. So whether that's, uh, in the case of Ganga, a large percentage of that comes from the leather factories, from the tanneries, but also from every type of different factory and industry that dumps their toxic chemical waste into Ganga. So those are the real three major, major polluters. And of course, whether they're dumping directly into the river or whether they're dumping onto land and that ends up in the groundwater and then into the rivers, it's all the same thing. so a lot also of the work that we're doing is around raising awareness and demand for organic agriculture, for example, insisting on proper waste management plans for industry, for business, for factories. So that's, that, those are the main three issues that are polluting the
1: waters here. Well, and speaking about organic, um, obviously that's one of you know the one solution to um, one of those major issues in terms of you know eliminating pesticides and, and herbicides and chemicals on the plants and the soil, which obviously go into the water streams and into the rivers, as, as you're discussing. I mean, that's it's it's very clear that that's what happens with it with the rains and also the animals spread it and and then, you know, they eat the GMO crops and, and spread that as well. So organic is such a huge issue or such a huge solution for that. Um which uh I did remember reading earlier this year a, a city in India, I believe it's uh Sakim, is that how you pronounce it? That yeah, um yeah. It's a state. It's a state. That, or a state, yeah, a state. Um that uh, declared itself to to be the first orga- fully organic state. Do you know much about that? Uh,
2: I know what they've done. It's fantastic. There are a lot of people working toward that now. We are working with Organic India, which is an incredible, incredible company that is changing so much of the way that India farms, and with other companies, other corporations, helping people understand the importance of organic. It's really, the challenge, though, is the insidiousness of the marketing by the chemical companies and the fact that they're, Advertising it all really as development and help, and claiming that those who are in favor of organics are trying to starve the people of India, that we are against progress, that we would you know just assume that everybody starve, so there's a lot of really, really insidious uh, indoctrination toward the non-organic model. But slowly, now, you know, the Internet's playing a great role. The input of global media is playing a great role. And so those people are able to spread their indoctrination less and less, and there are more and more people turning toward organic, more and more companies wanting organic. I've been here 20 years, and I know that just just in the last decade, because I was always committed to buying organic in America. And when I first came here, you couldn't, I mean, on one level, everything that you bought in the local market was organic, because that's just how people traditionally farm. And you don't even have to go back one generation in order to find it where we are in our hills, the local people are all farming organically. It's At this point, fortunately, primarily in the larger, more uh, corporate type of farms, not in the small, small farms in the hills. But nonetheless, what's happened over the years is that such a greater percentage of what people are eating is coming in from those major farms. It's actually getting cheaper even for local villagers to buy things that have come in from farms and other parts of the state, than to deal with growing them themselves. So the non-organic market is getting bigger and bigger. And yet, fortunately, along with that, the organic market is as well. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there weren't any companies that I could find to buy organic supplies from. And now you go on the Internet and there's tons of that. So that's been really, really promising and has made me very optimistic about the future of Indian farming. And just even when you talk to agriculture government officials, we're getting to a point where the vast majority of them have heard about the importance of organics, want to move toward organics, and are just looking for avenues to be able to do so without sacrificing the yield and the finances of the farmers in their state. And that's where companies like Organic India are really coming in and playing just a great, great role.
1: Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, organic is, is, you know, and and even beyond organic, you know, beginning to implement regenerative uh, agricultural practices such as permaculture um, incorporating a spiritual dimension into it, such as biodynamics, um, and and doing farming that can be sustainable that regenerates the soil long term because if we look at you know organic agriculture here in the United States for example there's still chemicals that are approved in organic farming most people don't realize that there's about a dozen or so chemicals that are approved they're considered safe chemicals though they're toxic um that's approved in organic farming and so um it, it's not all all organic farmers use them most of the large commercial organic farmers do. Um, best bet here, at least, that I know of is, is either grow your own food so you know what's in it or or get to know your local farmers at the farmer's markets and, and find out what they use uh, to grow their food. Like, I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, here in the U.S., and, you know, most farmers here in New Mexico don't use any chemicals, whether they're certified organic or not. Most of them just you know, have gotten to that point in consciousness to realize that, um, they don't want to poison themselves or their family or their community. So they simply don't use any chemicals and and some do, you know, but I think more people are, uh, awakening to the realization that chemicals on food, um, is a, is an experiment that's gone really wrong and, <laughs> and it's time to reverse it and go back to the natural way of, uh, of growing food. Um, but, you know, uh, taking us back to, to water, um, I know here, So this is where I think this raises a big issue uh, worth looking into. Um, here in the United States, you know, we don't have really many of the issues. I mean, from uh, water sources like public drinking water, et cetera, of coliform and you know bacteria that that cause you know giardia and and the types of bacteria that make you really sick and and even cause death you don't have really those issues um because of the water treatment plants and um you know and, and they put the- cl- the chlorine and the fluoride in the water, which kills basically all bacteria so on one hand, we are avoiding uh the terrible sickness um that comes from drinking water that has various bacteria. And I know what that's like. I've, I had Giardia from a lake that I swam in. It was, uh, um, had a lot of cow uh, uh, feces that were being, you know, uh, basically dumped into the lake, which I didn't know till later. And I got Giardia. It mm. took me over a year to get it basically balanced and out of my system over a year to, to stop having symptoms. and And that's like... Those are the worst symptoms, worse than the flu, uh, worse than anything I've ever had. So on one hand, I know how terrible it is to be sick with bacteria and water. And on the other hand, um, I also know that we're slowly killing people here in the United States because of the, the poisons they put in the water like uh, chlor- uh, chlorine and fluoride. I mean, those are toxic in the amounts that they are to the human body. They're slowly killing people. Um, and then you have issues of, of lead and uranium and um, other toxic pollutants that are ending up in the water even through the treatment centers and So my question is you know what what are what is a solution on both ends of the spectrum from a viewpoint of sustainability um, as I was mentioning, you know we have not figured that out in the united states on a on a large scale um, it's certainly not a sustainable model. And wondering, you know, what are some of the solutions maybe that uh, you've been able to to work on and develop?
2: The solutions there are what we call ground level solutions and grand level solutions, and solutions that are much more locally or nationally important than solutions that are necessarily applicable to those who are listening to this. For example, in India, as I mentioned earlier, one of the major issues that we are facing is the practice of open defecation with 600 million people defecating outside. So that's a major issue in our soil, in our water. And yet, that's not a major issue throughout the world. It's not a major issue in America. It's not a major issue in a lot of the countries from which people are listening to this. And so in terms of solutions that are applicable to all, what I really think it is, is decisions that are being made choices that are being made by those who have the luxury to make the choice and to make the decision. And so, for example, a choice of what we're going to buy to eat. We spoke already about organics, and most times when we go to the supermarket, we have a choice to buy organic or non-organic. And a choice to buy non organic is a choice that is directly impacting the quality of water as well as the quality of soil in our country and across the world as well because so much of what we eat gets, you know, comes as an import. And so standing in the supermarket, one of the most important decisions that everyone who's listening to this could make is to make a commitment to only buy organic food. It may be a little more expensive. It may be choosing to have a dinner that's organic and watching a movie online rather than choosing a dinner that's non-organic and having the money to go out to a movie. But these are choices not just for our own personal individual health which, of course, it impacts significantly as well, but choices for the present and the future of our planet. We talk so much about the future, but it's also so greatly impacting the present. What those of us with the luxury to choose are choosing is impacting the lives of our sisters and brothers across the world. So whether we are buying organic cotton or non-organic cotton is determining the current life and health of people picking cotton across the world are they being exposed to toxic chemicals are they having to you know suffer all sorts of health issues and their children having birth defects That's a decision that every single time we buy a T-shirt or a pair of socks or underwear we are making of whether we're going with organic cotton or non-organic cotton. So that's a major, major issue. Another major issue regarding what we eat and another great, very, very impactful way to make a difference three times a day is to be a vegetarian. The impact on our planet of the meat industry is one that cuts across whether it's water, whether it's air, whether it's climate change, whether it's land, whether it's energy, whatever area we look at, whether it's world hunger, wherever we look, there's a huge, huge role being played in exacerbating the problem by the meat industry and so for example with regard to water the amount of water that is being used in the livestock industry is phenomenal the amount of water for example that goes into the production of a pound of beef which is what you know a couple of people sitting over hamburgers have intaken is the amount of water that you use in bathing, assuming you bathe every day, assuming that your shower is approximately eight minutes long, it would take you six months of bathing to use up the amount of water that was used in the production of that hamburger meal. And so every time we are choosing beef, for example, are we prepared to refrain from bathing for six months in order to offset the water that went into the production of that beef? Chicken is about one third. So every time, you know, that we go for a chicken dinner, are we prepared to not bathe for two months in order to give back to the earth the water that we took, not the water that we drank, not even the water in the glass that came with the chicken dinner, but just in that chicken. So three times a day, we've got an opportunity that is so exciting to say, not just I'm worried about the future of our planet, not just I'm going to go home and you know, write a check to Greenpeace or another environmental organization, but I'm actually going to make a choice every single time that I go to the grocery store, every single time I go to a restaurant, of making a choice for the present and the future of this planet to preserve the water, to preserve the air, to preserve the environment. All of that is directly and significantly linked to the Livestock industry, as I said. Another and last point that I would mention, again, regarding our choices, is the disease of consumerism. Because almost everything that we purchase was produced in a factory. And factories create waste. And that waste ends up in our Land in our groundwater and in our water. And so, whether it's air pollution, whether it's land pollution, whether it's water pollution, everything we buy almost came from a factory. There were, you know, at least in India, smokestacks that are shooting into the air and a boundless, ceaseless stream of toxic chemicals coming out into the land and into the water. And so, you know, I'm not saying that everybody should become a Redensee and that people should stop shopping altogether, but we can make choices. We can make choices, again, for organic. We can make choices for fair trade. But we can also just make choices for simplicity and to decide how badly we really need another pair of shoes, how badly we really need another handbag, and particularly with the leather industry, because as I mentioned, you know, here in India, the leather tanneries are probably the most significant or one of the most significant chemical polluters of our rivers. And so we can stand here and scream and shout about wanting our rivers to be clean. But as long as we walk out and insist on leather shoes and leather handbags and leather car covers, we're just putting money back into the pockets of the same people who are dumping their waste into the river. So every time that we we go shopping, every time that we order something online, to just bring some consciousness and some mindfulness into it. And again, as I said, I'm not saying... Don't buy, I'm not saying renounce, but just to do so consciously and mindfully in terms of do I need this? Really, do I need it? Is this just shopping therapy or do I actually need what I'm purchasing? Have I just been brainwashed by marketers and advertisers to believe that I will be so much happier and so much more peaceful and feel so much more fulfilled with this brand of jeans or with that brand of mobile phone or with this item than I previously was. And if I do have to buy it, again, to bring some consciousness and to bring some mindfulness into what's the real price tag on this? Okay, I can see how much I'm paying What is really the price tag? Where was this produced? Who was it produced by? What land, what water body, what air was the factory that that produced this spewing its waste into? Who were the people producing it? Are they, you know, women and children in a third world country somewhere? And these days we've got a choice. It's, it's a really exciting, empowering time. This is not it's not to feel guilty. It's to feel excited and empowered by the fact that anything that we want almost can be bought in a way that's helpful rather than hurtful. And at the risk of you know bringing bringing spirituality into this. A little bit of meditation, a little bit of contemplation, of deep connection, helps us recognize how much of that which we buy, that which we eat, is purchased not because we need it, not because our bodies need those nutrients, but it's purchased because on some psychological, emotional level, we feel that that is going to fill our holes. That is going to bring us some deeper level of happiness and peace and fulfillment in life. And if we can search for happiness and peace and fulfillment in the places where they really exist, deep within ourselves, in a spiritual practice, in deeply loving, connected relationships, in service, in nature then we don't need to eat or to shop just for emotional fulfillment. And we'll be able to to do all of that with so much more mindfulness and consciousness that we help the planet rather than hurt it.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, all very, very good points and great things that, everybody can do in terms of where we choose to, to vote with with the dollar, vote with your wallet, vote with your money, because it tells the industry what we want more of. And it's very empowering to know, you know, spending a few extra dollars a week on organic multiplied by millions of people will lower the price of organic and make it more readily accessible. Same thing with clothing, you know, more support your local uh, producers, local farmers, local growers, um, etc., and 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 then the industry follows because the industry follows profit. Unfortunately, but at the same time, um, that's how we, as the people, get to tell the industry what we want by buying the things we want more of, even if it's just a few extra dollars here and there. Um, all very, very good points. And as we wind down, I do want to—we don't have time to go into all of these—but I do want to share a few other solutions especially for places like India where and here in the United States, we're setting up solutions like this because they're much more sustainable than what we have here. Um, in terms of water, uh, filtering water, for example, um, I encourage everyone to take a look at uh, sand and gravel and charcoal uh, water filters. You can make them yourself at home very easily. Uh, a couple of tools, 55-gallon drums, some sand, some charcoal, um, some gravel, um, maybe you can get the materials for somewhere between five to twenty-five dollars, depending on where you're, you're looking. And you can make uh, the purest um, water filters known on the planet. These are even approved by the um, uh, the disease uh, the the Center for Disease Control. I've seen it on their website. Um, you don't have to go out and buy a big $1,000 machine. You can make them for like $20, and it cleans out basically all pollutants in the water. It cleans out um, coliform and bacteria, and, and it's really simple, really easy, very sustainable, um, definitely something to look into. And, again, you can make them at home. So sand, you could look at sand and gravel uh, water filtration system. Um, the other thing, too, is... is um, Rainwater collection. Rainwater is already filtered through the clouds. It's not going to have bacteria in it. Um, If it's stored in a tank, you know, you're still going to want to run it through some kind of filter system, whether it's just a a filter you have at home or it's a a sand and gravel filter that you made. But at least it's already being filtered by the clouds. It's going to be much cleaner than drinking from a very polluted water source. Um, So rainwater collection. Again, and you can make, you know, rainwater... Um, uh, collection tanks uh, out of concrete um, out of giant gourds out of different sustainable materials you don't have to buy a huge tank again you can do those things very cheap Um, and um, so you know these are a couple of of systems that people can implement and the third one is is, uh, composting toilets Um, we're building one here at our house we'll be using that a lot more Um, you know putting our waste into a toilet that goes into water that then goes through a system. We're wasting, talking about water, we're wasting tremendous amounts of water then treating it and all of that where we can, in in places where you're able to, I mean, in the middle of a city, it's obviously not going to work. You're going to need a little bit of land. But starting to think about setting up composting toilets because now you're using the human waste, uh, composting it with things like wood chips or wood shavings, and then putting it back out onto the trees, um, you know, maybe not food trees, but trees like giant cottonwoods, trees that love large amounts of of waste. They feed on it. Their roots can handle it. They love that massive amount of nitrogen, and then it breaks it down and makes it safe in the environment. So another simple thing you can build composting toilets very easily and very simply um and so again it's a much more sustainable model um in the areas where you're able to to have something like a uh, a composting toilet um so just some ideas additional ideas to think about depending on where you are um in the world and and again making these decisions you know maybe um maybe i don't have to flush the toilet you know and waste that water maybe i can you know um use a different uh, use a different source, not flush it as much, or, or set up a composting toilet, uh, rainwater collection, um, things like that. I mean, all these things make a difference. So I know we're running out of time, and I really appreciate you for being here, Sadhvi, and, and for sharing and for all the wonderful work you do. I want to share your website with people listening so they can connect with you and connect with some of the wonderful programs and organizations that you're a part of sadhvi's website is uh, sadvg.org. it's s-a-d-h-v it's in victor i-j-i Sadvg.org. and through that website you can get to her other websites the divine shakti foundation the wash alliance um her book the encyclopedia of hinduism Um, The International Yoga Festival, all these wonderful organizations and resources that she's made available for you. So take a look at her website and and get involved in some of these wonderful initiatives. Um, Additionally, uh, two other websites to share. Um, If you missed any of the interviews during the Earth Day Summit, you'd like to own them, listen to them again and again, um, have additional bonuses with them. You can upgrade, look for the upgrade link either on the webpage or just go to earthdaysummit.com forward slash upgrade. You'll be able to own the entire summit and series. And finally, um, in September, through the Panacea community, we are producing a four-day transformational festival dedicated to sustainability, leaving the land better than we found it, and celebrating life. It's four days of ceremony, music, sustainable practices, learning how to make your own medicine, wild forage, uh, uh, wild edible foraging, herbal gathering, um, building natural buildings out of adobe, um, and uh, different workshops and presentations and keynotes, as well as yoga, tai chi, qigong, meditation, spiritual practices, and it's four days of community building and, and again, sustainability. Take a look at unifyfest.com, it's dedicated to unifying humanity by leaving the land better than we found it that's unify again uh sadly it was really a, a pleasure and an honor to have you uh with us today and just so much appreciate all the work you're doing
2: it's been so wonderful to be together nathan thank you so much and thanks so much for all of the work that you're all doing
1: oh beautiful beautiful and um Again, thank you all in our community for tuning in, participating, for sharing, for leaving your comments, for getting involved and stepping out into the world and making a difference. It's up to each of us to really change the direction of the future of the planet. and It's going to take lifestyle changes, but we can do it. Little changes at a time. We can turn this around. We can reverse global uh, warming and climate change. And and again, uh, by making these little decisions every day. So thank you all for tuning in. Um, and we'll talk to you on the next interview during the Earth Day Summit
0: thank you for joining us for Earth Day Summit 2016 brought to you by The Shift Network to add this powerful collection of teachings to your personal library visit earthdaysummit.com forward slash upgrade to learn more about our global community of people awakening to their divine humanity and taking inspired action visit theshiftnetwork.com Thank you again for joining us to discover the next inspired steps you can take to solve critical problems for Mother Earth and all of our inhabitants, and for sharing this planet changing information with your friends and family.